Hey, everybody, and welcome to an episode of Coach's Corner. Remember that on Wednesday, the live life coaching sessions go up. So if you missed this week, it was on how to make money doing what you love. And so I was thinking about who I wanted to have on. And the first person that came to mind is my new friend, Farnoosh Tarabi. She is America's leading personal finance authority, hooked on helping Americans live their richest, happiest life. From her early days reporting for money, to now hosting a primetime series on CNBC and writing monthly for O, the Oprah magazine. She's become our favorite go-to money expert and my new friend. Farnoosh is a sought-after speaker and best-selling author. Her latest book, I love this title, When She Makes More, The Truth About Love and Life for a New Generation of Women. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about in this episode of Coach's Corner is why women make less and how we can negotiate and expect more. Farnoosh also contributes to the NBC's Today Show and hosts her own award-winning podcast, So Money, recently named a top podcast to grow your business by Inc. Magazine, which I was recently honored to be a guest on. Our episode is 424, linked to the show notes there. She also has a web series. She's in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. Basically, this woman is really, really smart, really passionate about what she's doing, and just really real and relatable. I think you're going to get lots of insight from her. She talks about everything from building a platform as a thought leader to standing in your worth, both emotionally, mentally, and financially, and also transitioning from having those side jobs and moonlighting to stepping fully into what you love. So enjoy this Coach's Corner with Farnoosh Tarabi. Farnoosh, I am so happy to have you on Coach's Corner this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're going to lend so much wisdom and inspiration to our listeners. Oh, Christine, thanks for having me. You know, you were on my podcast not too long ago. It was one of my favorite interviews, and I just hope to be as open and helpful as a guest as you were on mine. Oh, thank you. It was one of my favorites too. Um, and everybody, I'll put the, the link to the show notes uh, for and so you can listen to not only my episode on So Money, but also just hundreds of other just fantastic podcasts that Farnoosh has put up. Uh, but today, she's, she's our expert. And this week's episode was on making money, doing what you love. And she's definitely walking that talk. She's a thought leader. You heard all about everything she's up to in her bio. And there probably wasn't a direct path. And I know that it's a question I get a lot, like, how did I build my career? And I'm sure, Farnoosh, it's a question you get a lot, too. Like, how did you become this thought leader doing everything you're doing? You're on TV. You're writing articles. You write books. You have your podcast. How did that happen? Uh, that's a question I'm getting a lot these days. And I think it's all because people are just really supportive of me and curious about their own paths, how to break out, uh, because we're learning more and more in this economy that there's no such thing as job security, that in order to really feel secure in your career and in your financial life, that it, it, the more you can take control of that and be the one in charge of your income, be the one who is um, at the forefront of your career, that you're not, you know, uh, beholden to a boss telling you when you can and cannot work. I mean, that's really the ticket to success. So for me, it started, I think, probably 10 years ago, maybe a little bit earlier than that. But really what happened 10 years ago was I published my first book. And the book was called You're So Money, Live Rich Even When You're Not. I was 26 years old. And for me, you know, this book was 
supplementary to everything else I was doing. I was at the time working full-time as a business producer in New York City. I was freelancing a little bit on the side as a writer. And this book really was born out of my freelance work, writing about personal finance for young adults from a very young kind of millennial perspective. And because I had a media background and because I had contacts in the media world at the time that was very attractive to publishers because as many authors now know, it's very hard to uh, market your book with the help of a publisher. Even though they're big and they're resourceful, they really count on authors to help with a lot of the marketing and promotion. So if you're somebody who is in the media world and you already have some connections, then that's, uh, that's a great selling point for you to sell your book proposal ultimately. So I was able to parlay my freelance work and my position in New York City media to get a book deal, to then publish the book. And truthfully, I didn't really know what was going to be on the other side of that book publication. I was excited that I was getting some press mentions. I was excited that obviously I had a book advance to help pay off my student loans. But for me, I was really just focused on the short term and... Um, I was fortunate in that when the book came out, it got a lot of media exposure. I think because there wasn't really anything quite like it at the time to compete with it. And it was also a very tumultuous time in our economy. 2008 was the very beginnings of what would then become the biggest financial disaster in our economy uh, since the Great Depression. And so there was a lot of interest and need for financial advice, basic financial advice. And that's what the book really was promising. And then all that exposure led to more press, uh, corporate partnerships, a TV uh, show ultimately. And um, one of the worst things also came out of that year, which was I got laid off. And actually that was the following year, but uh, all this momentum was building while I was still working in my job. And um, then I got laid off and that was ultimately a crossroads for me. I had to make a big, hard decision, which was, do I go back to look for a similar job? I was a video correspondent for thestreet.com and uh, very happy in my job, but you know, the economy was falling apart, companies were shrinking and I was let go. So I could either go back to try to find another job or do what I think I ultimately really, really, really wanted to do, which was to call my own shots, be my own boss, let all of these freelance side jobs culminate to something bigger and more meaningful and more lasting. And I just decided that I'm going to go for the juggernaut. I'm going to go for being an entrepreneur. And that year I incorporated a business and never looked back. And then from there, it just kept on building and building and building. My, my, my perspective is that you're only as good as your last uh, big output, whether it's a book or a podcast or a TV show or a magazine column, that uh, fortunately, unfortunately, in my world, you sort of have to be constantly <clears throat> thinking about what's next, which I know you've talked to me a lot about. <laughs> you talk to people a lot about celebrating what's now. But, and I certainly try to do that and I have to be conscious of that. But um, in order to keep the needle moving, I think it's really important to, to think about growth and think about what's next, not in a way to stress you out, but more to think, okay, how can I build on everything that I've uh, achieved so far and continue to give back in a meaningful way to my audience? Mm-hmm. And as you were building and 
not sure how how it would work and if it would be lucrative. How did you handle financial fears, financial concerns, both emotionally, mentally, and logistically? Sure. That was a big uh, emotional barrier for me. The reason I didn't make that transition earlier was because I was very comfortable having a full-time job, paid benefits. I had health insurance. I had a 401k. I had a title too. I was Farnoosh from the street.com senior correspondent. It was a senior title that I think had some equity and I felt like I belonged to something, you know, it's stupid because I had a book. I was also an author of my own book, but I didn't really put as much of a, of a weight on that. I didn't think that that carried me as much as maybe being a part of a bigger institution or big organization. I look back on that and I think that was silly, but at the time I was really reliant on all of these uh, bells and whistles. And I even thought about, well, how am I going to, you know, make photocopies? Uh, I'm going to lose access to a free phone, all this, you know, stuff that certainly um, I'm paying for these things now and it's a, it's a cost of business, but it's such a small price to pay in the grand scheme of life. And what ultimately allowed me to make the transition knowing that I could take this road, not look for another full-time job, see where all this momentum, how it evolves and where it builds to, because I had about a year's worth of savings built up in my bank account. Mm. Um, And it was a a wise friend told me, much older friend, she said, because I was not even sure that was going to be enough. She said, what is your savings for if not for moments like this? Yeah. Right? What are you saving money for? What are you saving money for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't exactly. know. And I have an answer to that. And I thought, okay, well, this is going to be it. Investing in myself. I'm saving this money to be able to buy myself time and security and confidence. And that's the best thing money can buy, ultimately. It, it really is. I remember one time I was thinking, I was deciding if I was going to freeze my eggs or not. And I was really concerned about how much it would cost and because it, it's expensive. And at least that was my opinion that it was expensive. And one of my friends, he's actually a doctor. He said, Christine, that's what your savings is for. Your earning potential is infinite. Your fertility is more finite. So great advice, great advice. Right. And that's the thing. Like sometimes we think our savings is that's it, you know, but it's like, you're going to keep saving, you're going to keep earning. And if you're not investing in yourself, both for your mental well-being or your career, then what's the point of having it besides just, you know, sitting in the bank, not doing you any good. So I, I love that you said that. And, and I know the other thing that you're so passionate about and you're such a catalyst for is women really stepping into their worth, not just their emotional worth and self-confidence, but their financial worth and negotiating. And I know, you know, I know the statistics that men apply for a job when they're only 60% qualified. Women wait to feel like they're 100% qualified and are four times less likely to ask for a raise even when they feel like they deserve it. So I think that it's shifting, but us women, we really need to be a little more empowered when it comes to our finances. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. And those are all very sobering statistics. And I have a couple more to add to it. Oh, boy. Just sit down, everybody. Yeah, just (laughs) why not? You know, I, I learned recently that even when you get an allowance as a kid, girls make less than boys. And so parents teach your daughters that they can earn more or at least the same as their brothers. And um, 
when we're entrepreneurs, self-employed women, business owners, we pay each other less than our male counterparts who own businesses. So that's, and you know, at the same time though, we should celebrate women are the fastest growing class of business owners we have today, faster than men. Um, we're attending college at a higher clip than men. We're graduating. More women today have more bachelor's degrees than men do, which is a, 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 very impressive considering we just started going to college, you know, uh, not too long ago in masses. So it's, uh, you got to really understand that as a woman, um, you're worth it. And there's nothing wrong in asking for more. It's difficult. I will be the first to admit. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of insecurity and fear that goes into asking for more because we don't want to seem like we're greedy or we're not grateful. Um, some of us are just happy to have the job. You know, we don't want to compromise the relationship. We don't want to compromise the position. But um, you know, it just takes a little bit of a mind shift. I mean, also realizing that employers have been negotiating with employees forever and and it's just the way the world works and when when a company offers you a salary they expect that you are going to come back with something maybe it's can i have a little bit more vacation can i make 10% more they're open to that and they're probably going to be surprised if you don't it's good workmanship it's good uh, it's a good sign when prospective employees actually negotiate thoughtfully and well because that exhibits a great skill and talent that can be used in the workplace. So think about it like that. I mean, sometimes it just takes things like rethinking what asking for a raise actually implies, you know, is that you're somebody who has done research, is very thoughtful, is proactive, is a leader, you know, all of these things that uh, you can exhibit through a simple negotiation that you're respectful, that you're understanding also what the other party wants and needs because that's part of a good back and forth and it's going to help you with your own negotiating, something I just learned. But it's especially for women because as we know, we have the gender wage gap and anyone who denies it is living on a wonderful, blissful planet. I'd love to join you there. <laughs> but here back on Earth, the gender wage gap is alive and well and it's for a number of reasons. It's not only because... Um, you know, there's gender wage discrimination at work, but it's also because women don't ask for more. And it's because um, we don't, we see more women leaving the workforce to take care of the families more than men. And that adversely affects them in the long run when it comes to pay. And so what needs to change is obviously we need more programs to help families be able to have a life at home and be at work and be committed to both uh, better than they are currently. And and I think for women, you know, one of the greatest things I ever heard, which made me really motivated to earn more as a woman, was that, you know, when you think about what money means to you, what it means to me is, uh, is a beautiful thing. Like, to have more money is to be able to help my family, is to be able to help my community. I'd love to start a foundation one day. And that's what's beautiful about women and money is that we don't look at money necessarily as the source of power to take over or power to control. Whereas that is a very masculine, I think, way of looking at money. Whereas when women inherit money and they earn their money, it's their thinking, their thought process is, 
this is powerful because now I have the power to help. I have the power to heal. I have the power to uh, improve the life, not only my life, but other people's lives. So I, I always say when women make more, the world becomes a better place. I so agree. we need more women to make more money. And the worst thing that can happen if you ask for a raise or apply for a job is a no, or you don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so go out and do so it. Then I think, you move on. I think and, you move and, on. I, I think women are so like, we are so terrified of rejection. It's, we it's, don't we want spend, to fail. We don't want to fail. We take rejection personally. And so we'd rather either think, wait till we know it's a no brainer, wait till we know it's a yes, rather than take the risk and, and take the risk, take the risk. I've, that's one thing I've had to learn too, is taking risks with my money. You know, like I, I bought my first property this year. That was a risk. I've invested in things that I wasn't sure were going to pan out. You know, it's, I'm not saying go to Vegas and take a risk that way, but playing the safety security game, I, I think limits us. Do you, do you agree with that? For sure. I think that's one thing that we can learn more from men, how to take healthy risks, not to be afraid to swim with your fears I think all of that is uh, going to make for a more lucrative, successful, fulfilling life. It's not to say that along the way you're not going to face rejection, but there's so much you can learn from that. I mean, I'd rather fall on my face 10 times than stand yeah. still for an eternity. Oh, that is so brilliant. I'd rather fall on my face 10 like times that? than stand still for an eternity. I love that. That's amazing. That one was for you. I That's just... amazing. I love that. I love that. Well, kind of this t- ties back to the coaching episode that um, was this week, which was making money doing what you love. And before I ask you where people could find you, I'd love your thoughts on this. So if someone's at a point where, you know, they, they have this career that they love, they've been doing it for, they're not brand new at it, right? It's like, three to four, they're three to five years in, but they're still doing these side jobs because they're terrified of money and bills and how am I going to pay my bills and can doing what I love create money? What would be some, some steps or strategies that, that you would advise someone to take to get out of that cycle of, I have to have side jobs in order to do what I love? Yeah. So I'm in the middle of this book called The One Thing. Have you heard of it? Oh, I love that. I love those guys. They're great. Yes, yes. And it's, I'll be the first to admit, it's hard for me even to find my one thing. But I think I do have a one thing. But it's just more that I have many, many little one things within the one thing. But um, I was that person. I was was doing a lot of different things. And then I, um, you know, that's no way to live your life. That's no way to manage your time. And speaking of time, I think that's... Where you really need to start is to, we all have the same amount of time. That's the great equalizer, right? So if you really start to think about what your time is worth, and if you could do anything on a Saturday, if someone gave you the entire Saturday free, what would that be? And not talking about going to the movies or like going to lunch with friends, but if you had time to work on like, you know, a free day, a free, a total free day, a total free Friday, what would you actually want to focus all your time on? What's the most... What is the thing that you're doing among the 10 things that you're most excited about that you feel not only that you have the passion, because passion is not enough, that you are the person to do this job, that, that there are many people that could perhaps teach this or do that service, but you have the most attractive quality towards getting people to subscribe to you and to become your clients because of perhaps your own success story, because perhaps of your experiences and all of the above. Like 
what are, what are you really the expert in? And you're not the expert in a million things. You're not the jack of all trades. Better to be, as my friend says, instead of a, a Swiss army knife of talents, better to be one sharp blade because you're just going to become known as that person and you're going to, there's just going to be so much that's going to gravitate towards you because of that. If someone thinks of you and they can't figure out what you do or who you are because you're just running around doing a million things, they're never going to come to you because they don't know what actually you're the expert in. But if you actually hone it in and you'd say, okay, I'm going to be instead of, you know, uh, a writer and a and uh, an Uber driver and uh, a tutor and this and that. I'm going to just be a writer and I'm going to write specifically about this. And even though maybe that means for six months, I'm not going to make a lot of money, but eventually I'm going to make a name for myself in this industry and I'm going to get out there and I'm going to put all my energy, all my hours that I was expending towards those other, other, um, uh, other paths, other jobs is now going to be funneled into this one focused area, then that's ultimately going to mean that, of course, in, a, in six months, in a year, you are going to become the authority in, on that and the go-to person in that. It just It's going to happen if you really commit to it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I and think you can it, command more money. Yes. Before. Yes. Yes. Commit to it emotionally, mentally, and financially. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Be the so sharp blade. Don't be the, <laughs> the, you know, I have, I had this client who she said, you know, I, she loved to tell people that she was the Swiss army knife of nutrition. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, in her mind, well, you know, I attack nutrition from a holistic standpoint. So I am, you know, I have it from a physical, I, I teach people from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, from like a, a nutrition standpoint. And one coaching session, she realized that was not actually the best way to present herself because what was happening was that she wasn't memorable. People didn't realize, like, remember who she was or what was her thing. What is her one thing? But if she came in at and said, you know what, my name's Julie and I am a nutrition coach that works specifically with teen girls, you know, helping them through their adolescence and weight and body image issues like okay then wow who does that you I've never met anyone who does that and if that's your thing you can really take that far because you've now become a very you know focused person that's memorable now like you don't need a business card like just tell me that I'll remember you forever mm. because that also you know who, who doesn't relate to that either I love that I love that. Oh, so good. Thank you so, so, so much. This is absolutely amazing. Tell people where they can go to find out more about you. Yay. Okay. So then you can join me on my podcast at somoneypodcast.com and you can listen to the great Christine Hassler. She was on not too long ago. She's a top listen right now. You're one of my top audio podcasts. Oh, say. And also you can go to farnoosh.tv where I have my uh, sort of standard blog and, uh, you know, you can learn more about me there. And if you have a DVR or if you have on demand, it's, the season's over now, but I'd love if you haven't caught it yet, go to CNBC and listen, watch Follow the Leader. It's just six episodes, but it was a really fun first season of me following and learning from six of the world's biggest entrepreneurs. And actually, if you go to followtheleader.com, 
www.cnbcprime.com. You can catch all of the episodes there. You should be able to download them for free or stream them for free, I should say. Awesome. So much good stuff. Please go check out Farnoosh's work. As you can tell, she's incredibly knowledgeable and inspirational and just fun to listen to. So thank you for being so amazing and full of so much knowledge for us today, Farnoosh. I appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> 